Hello and welcome to another episode of Once Upon a Time in Some Guy's Parents' House. I am Some Guy, this is my parents' house, and with me are my friends, Rob and Jules. Gentlemen, how are you today? I'm fine. I'm good. That's you talking, isn't it, Rob? That's correct, Jules. And this is me, Jules. <laughs> and right, you got that, way, listeners. You got that. That's by, our voices. By the way, yes, there, is nothing, there is nothing wrong with living in your parents' house as this uh, today's film is going to tell us. That's true. Unless you're fabricating the entire thing. Ah. Today, we are talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. No, we're not. We're talking about... Uh, Joker, gentlemen, that film that was made by Todd Phillips, uh, who was well, previously renowned, renowned, renowned artistic director yeah. Todd Phillips, gritty, gritty filmmaker, who I was fresh amazed from the Hangover trilogy, who I was amazed to discover I accidentally seen all of his films, every <laughs> single one. Yeah, have you seen Due Date? No, I have not seen all of his. Films. <laughs> you have not seen all of his films. <laughs> Isn't that his like student film Fake or news. something? No, that's yeah. right in the middle of the Hangover trilogy. I think. No, I've definitely not seen that. Then I also haven't seen War Dogs. I also haven't yeah. seen Fitzcarraldo. <laughs> Todd Phillips Fitzcarraldo. Yeah. Uh, oh, I just thought we were naming things we hadn't seen. Todd Phillips Scaraldo. So yes, this film was made by Todd Phillips, who does appear to be a strange choice for the movie. Uh, it stars Joaquin Phoenix, fresh from playing Jesus. Uh, <laughs> what film was he in? Uh, Mary Magdalene. And what film was he in? What you mean when he was playing Jesus, was playing just Jesus. on the sidewalk? Yes. Um, uh, Robert De Niro is also in it, uh, as is Francis Conroy and Zazie Beetz. Uh, great name. The film is about uh, the Joker. It's an origin story for that famous Batman villain uh, where Joaquin Phoenix plays a mentally very disturbed man living with his mother uh, in, in a very cruel Gotham City. Is it even called Gotham? I mean, it is. They do it? reference it. New York City. Yeah. I think um, it's a hodgepodge of different built-up places in, in the 70s. Different, yeah. different Scorsese interpretations yeah. of New York. Yeah. Uh, does it surprise you to learn that Todd Phillips is from New York? And grew up in oh, New York in the in no. the 1970s. Oh my god. Next you're going to tell me he saw Taxi Driver. There's some allusion to Ghostbusters 2 here. You mean Ghostbusters 1? <laughs> no, the, the idea that New York has a lot of hate and anger in it and it sort of... It manifests itself Rules in this mood slime. Well, it doesn't actually... The mood slime <laughs> becoming angry uh, and, and taking in all these emotions. And um, You're right, Rob. The I suppose the Joker what, it's another film slime. about New Yorkers being angry... <laughs> It's a good, actually, that's a point, because if we are talking from the perspective of Todd Phillips coming from New York, he has grown up in... I mean, I haven't been giving him his dues, I've just been saying, oh, he's just nipped Scorsese's uh, themes and his tone because he loved those movies. But if he's grown up in New York, he's grown up in an environment where everyone's a massive arsehole to one another. <laughs> so, what did you think of Joker? It's hilarious. I was speaking to a friend of mine who like, affected him somehow mentally, or he couldn't get into it and he didn't like the characters and so on. But I think that's the point of it. I think it's a bit like a taxi driver or an American psycho. It's a tragedy. So as a yes. tragedy, I think it's a pretty decent film. Yeah, I mean, the film has taken a lot of heat, right? Mm. I mean, mm. it's taking a lot of heat for a couple of things. There's the choice of the Gary Glitter song, which is sort of in a oh, yeah. in a, in a subcategory of its own, which it's Wait, getting it a lot actually, of grief for. It got heat just for choosing that extremely famous Gary Glitter song that most yes. people don't even realise is Gary it's Glitter. Gary Glitter. Yeah, that was the, when, I, when I heard about the Joker controversy, that was, what, that was the first thing I heard about. And then I sort yeah. of read deeper into it and read all of this, oh, this is going to incite incels to 
you know, go and kill people. There's a couple of elements of the film. There's, there's, it's, it's very violent, and it places you in the in the shoes of a very like mentally disturbed person, and asks you to see the world somewhat from his perspective. And he in the film becomes the symbol of a populist uprising against the rich, and comes to symbolise general anger against the establishment, incites a lot of rioting in the city. Do you think it's fair the sort of the hate the film is getting from a lot of commentators who are saying this is an irresponsible film? See, this is where I wonder, but I, I would argue there's no such thing as an irresponsible film. I would argue film should be allowed to do within, you know, I wouldn't say there's even like within reason, art should exist for art's sake to say whatever it can or wants to do. And it, 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 one, it, it more comes down to the argument that I don't think you should be putting... I don't want to say guidelines, I'm trying to think of the word. You don't want to be putting down... Censorship. Um, yeah, mm. any form of censorship in any way on art. I mean, obviously you can censor it in terms of when you're sending out to a mass audience or what you're projecting for what you want in terms of it, it, who, who can see it and when. But for just art for art's sake, as a piece of created media, we shouldn't be able to say, well, you shouldn't create this because it could incite this. Because I think it creates a dangerous precedent for what else could something else it, it, it creates a slippery slope in my opinion and i don't feel art should be censored i think that you know obviously art doesn't exist in a vacuum unless you kind of well some artists do sort of squirrel themselves away um and keep keep themselves out of uh, the po- politics yeah. or the news and don't really let that affect them maybe they can't avoid it but it, then it becomes more relevant when a film is released that sort of thing i mean if the film is saying anything it feels it seems like it's a about a man who was the system has failed him but also all of the char- other characters in the film are, they're not necessarily horrible, but a lot of them are dismissive. Of it's him. a very grim film. In yeah, the and is that yeah. all in his head? Because there are there is a moment in the film which is kind of a sixth sense kind of, kind of moment. We realise what we're seeing isn't necessarily the whole picture. and it's So how much of that is just his interpretation because of his mental illness? I feel we're meant to take most of the scenes yeah, sure. at face value. I agree, There's his interactions with Zazie Beetz' character sure. is clearly revealed to us to have been largely fabricated by him. Yes. But I think when it comes, say, to his interactions with his colleagues, with his boss, uh, with his mother, I think we're meant to take all of those scenes, for example, as they as they stood. When he gets the information uh, with regards to his mother, there is a kind of flashback to his mother as a young woman being interrogated. At that point, we see uh, Arthur in the background of the That's flashback, right. at once suggesting, oh, this is his take on the notes, yes. so we don't actually have to... Have, it's quite a quick way of establishing that he doesn't believe what the notes are saying. And then he also suggests, though, that maybe this is just his interpretation and not necessarily what happened. I guess so. I took it more from an, an accusatory... He's there as, an, as another accuser, I took it as. But he came to that conclusion from the inverse information. Because, yeah. the, because the documents merely say the lie. I mean, I would agree with you, Rob. In fact, if anything, I'd say... I, I think the whole film is quite coloured by his perspective, all the scenes are. Because he is... I mean, not only is he protagonist, but every single scene in the film is from his perspective emotionally. And while there are obviously large beats that are very different so, uh, from his perspective to what's reality, like with the whole thing where he imagines, um, what's the actress's name again? Zazie Beats. Zazie Beats. That is a wonderful name. It's great, isn't it? Where he, uh, he imagines their relationship. But I feel like every single scene in the film, you can't be entirely sure if maybe even Gotham isn't as one hundred percent grim as it is. If everyone is going, going from, well, maybe it is like his perspective is slightly attuning it, so they're slightly more accusatory. They're slightly more short with him, 
and I because every single scene is from his perspective. But we're seeing, yeah, I mean, sure, we're seeing it from the bottom, aren't we? We're seeing we're seeing Gotham from the perspective of someone who has nothing really yes. and who is being systematically like mm. ignored. Um, you know, the social his mental health services are withdrawn from him. Uh, he has no real job prospects and no real social prospects because he, you know, has this ridiculous condition where he, where whenever he's nervous, it seems whenever he's nervous socially in any way, he just maniacally laughs. It's going to be a difficult thing to to get past, isn't it? It actually says intentionally in the script that it, it says that he's got different types of laughs right. depending on uh, whether, like, one's meant to be like the nervous laugh that he can't control. One is one that's put on. Okay. And I think and it, it was something I read about how originally they were talking. Uh, Todd Phillips was talking to. Whacking Phoenix about it, and they were trying to work out what laugh would be what, how many he should. I think it went to four at one point, hmm. but it never goes to like exact detail which one he's putting on, but just that he does have. So there is a level of potential fabrication in the laugh. When he when he feels he's expected to laugh, he is clearly putting it on. Like when the one of his colleagues mocks the the dwarf um, character, and again he we get this sort of ridiculously over the top laugh from him. There were dwarf jokes in it. And that, to me, felt like the one note of the film where it felt kind of off. But do you like there are moments where there are moments where characters that I think we're meant to find unsavory make jokes about the dwarf, and then there's the moment that the film maybe makes us yeah. so it sets the the, the humor up, which is where he's trying to escape, trying to escape and he the door. That's and he what I mean. Uh, find the latch. Yeah, and that adds that's like, making the that audience laugh a, at it. That adds, a, but it adds it adds an absurd moment to a really threatening situation. I don't know. I I, I can to- I can understand seeing that from both. See, to me, that felt like the sort of joke I'd expect in The Hangover, where they'll be making jokes about Chinese men having small mm. penises. Right. Instead of thinking, well, that's, come on, that's not... It's, it's funny, like, this is... I would never bring this film up into this conversation <laughs> if I hadn't watched it yesterday morning, and, and I'm still reflecting on Joker. But yesterday morning, I watched the film Earthquake from 1974. In this film, during the during the major earthquake scene in the film Earthquake, there's a bit where a so which like film lots is this? of people, it's called Earthquake, and in Ooh. the film Earthquake, there are several earthquakes, <laughs> and during the third earthquake of all of the earthquakes in the film called Earthquake, right. the big earthquake, the earthquake that kills loads of people, there's a bit where there's this woman, you know, lots of people are running through the streets and stuff's tumbling down and this woman gets uh, hit by this massive plate of glass Uh, and that's, you know, it's nasty enough she's just a complete randomer, she's just, she's never never seen it before, she's a middle-aged woman and then she gets up and she staggers towards the camera with like loads of shards of glass sticking out of her face and blood running down her face, screaming and I was, and I laughed because I thought (laughs) (laughs) because I thought I just just imagined the directors setting this shot up, Mm. you know, like Putting it all together and being like, "Oh, good, we've got yes, you're you're going to play the the woman with glass in her face." <laughs> what I want you to do is, when the makeup's finished, you've got to stagger towards the screen and you know, ah, and that's gratuitous that's yeah, shit. Yeah, right. So that's rubbish violence. I mean, we so really didn't need that. I got the I got the message. The earthquake's killing loads of people. Having the plate glass fall on this woman is unfortunate enough, but having her stagger straight towards camera, yeah, and I just that's gratuitous it's violence. Like, this that's a PG. It's like that what is it? Show it's... on a Sunday afternoon at three pm. You know, Joker. I agree, it isn't gratuitous because all the moments have other reasons for existing. They have character reasons for yeah. his character, for part of the story, and just his general arc needs those moments. They push. They push the plot forward, exactly. and, and not and, and they're deserved. They, they feel earned. They, it Definitely. works. I think. Do you feel it's cathartic when he 
resurrects into Joker. I think the film does have a weird dichotomy by what it's trying to to do, as in it does it very much in one hand tries to lift up this figure of saying he's by having a sympathise with him, but also having saying his actions are justified and all this stuff, and then in the other hand saying no, you should feel wrong for feeling this way because he represents all these terrible, horrible values. When they lift him up, I felt an element of catharsis in these moments, but it's almost like the the film pulls you in and then pushes you away at the same time Mm. by saying, no, bad, hitting you with a newspaper in the cinema. Yeah, in one yeah. way it's escapist, and, and I don't like that. But, it, but you couldn't you couldn't say that the, the suffocation scene is, is escapist unless you were a real. I felt empathisable catharsis, but I didn't feel sympathy. This is the yeah. thing. this is this the, is the trick. It's empathy, not sympathy. I don't agree with him suffocating his mother, obviously, but I but totally I see why he's doing it. <laughs> but also, but you get yeah. There's a yeah. thing. Sympathy is not the same no. as, as agreeing with the character. Empathy you, does empathy you, you, does not mean condoning. It just no. means understanding exactly. from somebody exactly. else's I think there are many moments. Yeah. I think there are many moments of relief in it because mm. you get a scene like we've just mentioned, and then you have a sequence where we're laughing at him. Mm. He does the scene, which is much like in King of Comedy, where Pupkin's character has all these cardboard cutouts <laughs> of all uh, the audience uh, in his basement and he pretends to be on a chat show. Similarly in this, uh, Arthur is... Well, actually, he's preparing for his show. See, this is a... Uh, and we are laughing at him then. This so. is a different thing, but I'd say moments like that kind of took me out of the movie. Well, because, because of the obvious reference? Because there were such obvious references. It's not, it wasn't like with Tarantino, where the references sort of form an, his voice, and he creates something somewhat newish with them. With this, it felt like moments like that from King Comedy, and like the like when uh, they put their guns to their head like in Taxi Driver and do the fake gunshot thing. Things like that took mm. me out, because it made me feel very much like, oh, I'm watching a film that uh, is tonally trying to reference something of the same tone and the same beats. Like, it's only being played for comedy because it's referencing King of Comedy and that moment of that is funny. I think that scene you could could still find funny, probably more so if you hadn't watched King of Comedy. Oh, certainly. But I'm thinking you're relieved at least that the film... Uh, isn't a straight up King of Comedy rip because when I heard the, oh, I was the so there was going to be an allusion to that. I mean, I King thought maybe Com- he he wants to get on stage at any cost, and that really is King of Comedy is my King Comedy. I mean, also King of Comedy is my is my favorite Scorsese film. I absolutely mm. love it. Yes, me too. Yes, it's amazing. It is absolute masterpiece. It, and when I <laughs> at the moment, mine's probably something like Cape Fear because I'm a heathen. That is an excellent. <laughs> I love Cape Fear. <laughs> that is great. It's silly more fun. problematic <laughs> than this film, I would say. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah Jesus, that is certainly. Uh, by that, but that it really was as one for one as I want to do 1980s Martin Scorsese 1970s I suppose Martin Scorsese film. 1981 I think is kind of well there isn't an established uh, timeline you know an exact date but I Ooh. think the, the, the clues lead towards 1981 I did have the, is that where it's I kind of um, I do have an exact date because it's in the script oh really That's right. I'll see if I can pull it up I'll be impressed if you're right Rob I think right. Well, I must have looked it up somewhere. Um, <laughs> but no, it's interesting because I thought for a moment that they'd shot it on film. They haven't, but they did do things like they shot the titles on film. Yeah. What the um, just the, the word overlaid. Joker? Just the word Joker. In the end, I assume. Yeah, there's a there's a there's yeah. a Vanity Fair um, video on the That's YouTube. That's right. It does have a very old-fashioned credits, doesn't mm-hmm. it? A t- a font for the credits, like done the a end, bit. and uh, yeah. it's like it's like written like a classic, like you would see in a classic film. And the other thing on that Vanity Fair video that you mentioned is they did use a bit of CGI. They just filled in any gap of sky or anything with more buildings oh, to really? try and make everything really feel oppressive and yeah. claustrophobic. Like, there's no like, escape. Um, All right, I have the 
first page of the script here, well, before the first page. Okay. I'm just going to read one, one, little, one little bit here. Yeah, yeah. In the, we got to go back to 1985. Uh, although it is never mentioned in the film, this story takes place in the past. Let's call it 1981. Ah. Yes. To, to follow on the Scorsese uh, piece, do you know who they originally had uh, in mind to play Joker? Martin Scorsese. Leo. Leo, yeah. yeah. Oh, good old Leo. Leo. Uh, um, and I think it was just, I think it was budget, really. I think it was they, they just wanted to make a lower budget film and Joaquin Phoenix has been doing all of these, you know, these really intensive roles, but at a low budget uh, films in the last five, six years. What he and, says, uh, I think, oh God, I think I remember reading something about ever since he basically told the Academy Awards, effectively told them they were all up their own asses, yeah, and stopped himself from ever being ever in the running for that can walk the line was that when he was up for Johnny Cash I think it might have been yeah yeah. I think it might have been that he basically said I'm just going to do I'm just going to do these small these these smaller art films and where I can do character pieces now God bless you God bless him (laughs) he salute you because one thing I will say about this film is I mean I didn't think the writing was particularly great but my God did he elevate it with his performances yeah it was brilliant wasn't it I can Uh, imagine there's a lot of improvisation I'm reading the script and it's weirdly not a lot of the lines are actually he's just him delivering them so well I mean, the tear, uh, for example, the beginning is, that is, is all, all is all wacky. It's all in the script. Oh, according to Tom Phillips on the Vanity Fair, really, <laughs> really? <laughs> lies to me. Well, um, that solitary tear they caught was well, wasn't was sort of pre-prepared. Supposedly, they he's just punching that. himself in the in the gut before <laughs> they. Uh, Aren't we missing the kind of the obvious a political element, which is just the the one percent with this? Yes, film? like the Waynes are actually presented as horrible as well oh yeah so or Thomas is Wayne, that yeah. the Arthur's point of view but in everything you've done we've never had something where we've really seen Thomas Wayne from another perspective when he was obviously when he was alive yes but I mean we're, we're taking it as read that Thomas yes. Wayne covered up an illegitimate baby there. no yeah, we don't I didn't I, 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 thought, you I thought it was that, ambiguous no I, I thought it was very ambiguous yeah so I thought what, it was what, ambiguous whether or not his mother actually had an affair with mm. John Wayne, uh, Thomas Wayne. John, John Wayne. Wayne. <laughs> I think <laughs> you better give me that baby. Not to be confused with Tom, uh, John, Payne John Payne John Payne from uh, Silverload, Silverload, which was a load of which was something uh, or other. His, that was uh, Harvey. You know that's um, John Payne's seventh best western, fifties western. I kind of imagine the film in another version. Maybe it is in the script since you've read that now, Jules, or at least skimmed it. Uh, I can imagine the film without the sequence which reveals. Points at which Zazy Beats is not in the scene. That's good because, all right, because that seems like a kind of hand-holding exercise. Yeah, that's we correct. get yeah. we get the idea. That is the, a breach of the uh, two plus two equals five rule, which was Billy Wilder, I think. She they shot it, it obviously, yeah. maybe with the understanding of yeah. like, we better do this since she's not here. Yeah. Every time they shot the scene, they probably felt let's do a shot. They're not here, it's just um, for coverage. And then late, it does it seem like, the audience like they're an idiot. Yeah, yeah and I, 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 I thought so. It so. skips also, over quite quickly, so it, it suggests that the editor didn't really want to. But more than I'd say, because it, it does even more of the pacing, because there's like about there's a good five ten seconds before it then does the flash to show that it's been fabricated. It was a shame. I just yeah. I thought uh, yeah, it was the I, one I, moment I in that where it just. An epilogue too many at the end, do you think? I, I think the ending was... The ending was the only point where I thought, okay, this is where they're obviously trying to connect this character to more like what we might have seen the Joker do in other films where he's actually the Joker. Usually you don't have a, a backstory for Joker. No, that's what's in interesting about it. In The Killing Joke, you have uh, a, a few possible backstories that may all be sort of fictitious. And equally in 
Heath Ledger's portrayal in The Dark Knight. He suggests different ways how he gets the scar. But, so these kind of possible blurry backgrounds. Well, they did an interesting story. thing in um, in Gotham, the TV show, because that worked with the idea... Because they had the Joker come into it in that as the character is creating, you know, his backstory, because um, it's all the young villains. But uh, they have... They, they sort of... They, they go sort of with the idea to some extent of him starting a movement, and then you think, oh, well, maybe he's not the Joker. Maybe it's one of these people who is... Mm. Uh, who is uh, inspired by him and his 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 me- not only just his methodology but his values in the world and it starts to have a lot of overlap with this film where I sort of think maybe you know is this really a Joker origin film I mean could it be just well, the Joker mythos origin Yes I mean you could you could have ended it for example on the assassination of, of Bruce's parents but I was going to suggest that yeah. it's interesting you you often don't need a backstory for for Joker and I feel like this film mm. is a backstory that doesn't need a follow-up. It also does a double backstory. <laughs> it's like the as inverse well. of it. It does a weird double backstory because I know that the original Batman, um, the uh, with Michael Keaton, that got a lot of flack from the comic book fans because it made the Joker be the the one who kills Thomas. Jack Napier. Yes. Uh, mm. Well, they make the Joker Jack Napier, who is yes. the person who killed. Sure. Yeah. Yes, who kills Bruce's parents Thomas Wade and whoever the, their name is. And I know that got a lot of flack. And yes. this is weird because in a way it's now saying yes, he did kill him, but it is. Off. Well, no, he didn't kill by, him. I mean, his... I'm saying this film. It's like it, he's killed because of the movement that sure, the Joker it's a starts. Because it's like it's so maybe it's so much. I mean, he's pro no, chaos anyway, so he, he, doesn't, he doesn't care. But it's it? like you can argue that he is responsible in an offhand way for the murder of those parents. And would if that riot had not occurred? I mean, that's what I'm saying. I, I, is it, it cyclical it's, though? Is Wayne? Is, think, is is the Joker a product of Wayne? And then well, I don't like the way that it's one of the things where I don't like the way the film. It's the, that end of the film where it just seems like it's slotting in that DC mythos stuff, yeah. and I, it feels like uh, I won't say it feels like a square peg in a round hole, but it doesn't feel quite as tight as the yeah. rest of the film. It, it the, Wayne, the Wayne murder yeah. was really unnecessary. I thought, I thought, and I couldn't believe they actually showed it. I thought, mm. at least please, mm. let's just see them go into the alley and like suddenly follow in. That would have been enough. But then we even got pearls again. Yeah. We yeah. Even I just said, John said the 15th time we've yeah. seen pearls yeah. scattered on and the floor. And I thought, oh, come on. We, we all know what's happening. Like, all right. Like, we didn't we didn't need that. This isn't about Bruce Wayne. What would be exactly. a subtle way of doing yeah. it? Just have them coming have out them of the cinema and then go into the alley and then the guy follow them in and then pan away to the next, you know, move on to the what the shot's really about which is like the riot going mm. on over here that would have been much better even I then I don't I hate come that on, like 90% of the that. audience would get it and the other 10% don't give a shit and we forget that it is a comic book film because mm. it's it's a little bit more serious even more so than the Nolan films yeah. with their masks and so Absolutely. on uh, but you know, the part at the end is almost a bit Army of Darkness or something. You know, everyone's sort of lifting them up and cheering <laughs> and, and, and anything like that. Wouldn't, would that happen so quickly in real life, you know? I guess so. I mean, that for me, I thought was trying to evoke Dark Knight because obviously mm. there's the bit in Dark Knight where he escapes and he's driving in the police car and he's head out the window and mm. he's, you know, that's his moment of freedom. Mm. And in here, he's in the police car again being driven, but he almost is free because the city around him is now... Is, is not this oppressive place. It's been undone by this riot. So it's almost like a victory lap through what he's achieved. And mm. again, he's in the police car. I thought that was one of the, the only really overt reference to Dark Knight Joker. Oh, um, in yeah, that film. totally went over my head. But you're right. That does, that does ring true in terms of an image. I mean, yeah, I think going back to that Wayne thing, I, I found it, I know they kind of wanted to slot it in, 
But, and I know maybe that it's not really obvious the city's going to turn into a riot, but it seemed a bit funny that they would basically take their son to the <laughs> cinema, like, during a mass riot. <laughs> Quick, let's go down this dark alley near the I, uh, mass I know, riot. right. I mean, surely by the time they leave the cinema, they realise that things are probably going... Like, I mean... It, you know, normally hey, we, it's just some night. It's just why some don't they get their driver in, in to pick them up outside right? the cinema? It's just incongruous that this family would be, just be walking down the alley in, in, after going to the cinema okay. during the city. What are you saying, Mike? Are you saying they're asking that, for that it, it was forced in? No, that, that, that they were that they were wedging in these. Look, it's Bruce Wayne. It's it's Bruce Wayne. Remember <laughs> Batman? Um, God, that, that, that was the only part I, I rolled my eyes. Meanwhile, we go down into the sewers, <laughs> see penguin. Exactly. Oh my God, that would look. Um, it's whacking Phoenix playing all of them. Yeah. <laughs> He's put on loads no, of Danny DeVito again. Danny DeVito now. A cast member that we had seen in, in our most popular review so far for Hotel Artemis. Did you uh, did you notice any actors from Hotel Artemis in this film? There is. Oh, oh Jodie Foster. Jodie That's right, movie. remember? As Wacking right. uh, Phoenix's mother. Was, uh, was Jeff Goldblum uh, playing Robert De Niro? <laughs> was it a houseplant in scene five? Who else hey. was even in so this? It was a one, it's a one-scene role, but it's quite a, it's quite a big part in, in that role. The administrative office? Yeah. Oh, that oh. guy. Yeah. Who is he? He was in the office. That That's right, Brian Tyree Henry. Right. We, we, we singled him out as being particularly good in Hotel Artemis, <laughs> and, he was in, and he played the... Thanks uh, the to us. Oh, he's the brother, isn't he's he? He's the brother, yeah. Yes. Thanks to us yeah. and our singling. He's, he's on the rise. He's on the rise. He's and one recently of the he was also in Widows, and yes, I saw him uh, If Beale yeah. Street Could Talk. So clearly some, you know, I saw some, him some pretty big movies for Brian Tyree Henry. He's one of those actors, he's one of those character actors that I remember when he was in Joker just thinking... Who the hell? I know that guy. Yeah, you do. He yeah, was great could, in that. It's, it's the moment where he uh, starts to realise, wait a minute, this guy's not got it together and I'm about to give him official documents and it mm. could be my job and I'm just <laughs> like this lowly admin yeah. guy. But you want him to get the fuck yeah, as well. Exactly. That's your right. What this you were saying the, earlier, the, the, the kind of, the, the pushing away with one hand and the pulling towards the you and the other. It's the weird schism of this film where it wants you to side with someone that you don't want to side with. It's something where I think... Someone with much better writer than uh, Todd Phillips could take that dichotomy, and they could do something really interesting with it. Oh, I think you're being mean on Todd Phillips. I thought you hear that, Todd Phillips. <laughs> you're I'm coming for you, Todd Phillips. I'm coming for you, Todd on the list with Raw Rafael. <laughs> Raw Fatage. Um, Raw Fatage. Uh, <laughs> um, and do you know who was signed up to play Thomas Wayne until the day before shooting? And it's literally the most predictable choice you could possibly have. To the point where, when I saw this person, I was like, "Oh, it's discount." Gene oh. Hackman. D- wait, no, wait, discount? You're going to reveal the discount? No, no, that's why I'm wondering if you can, oh, is it, uh, is can it, guess. Is he a discount? I was in, is the actor in it a discount version of somebody else? Who often else? plays a rich, haughty asshole? Oh, Hollywood. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say someone like Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin. Oh, oh shit, yes. he does. And he, kind he was signed like up until well. the day before. Yeah, I know. It's, it's almost like they just got someone who kind of looks like Alec Baldwin. Way it? too on yeah. those, isn't it? That would be really, that's really that bad. That would be funny, actually. That would have been funny. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's a bad choice because yeah, yeah. it would have injected too much comedy. Yeah, I, I think they, 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 they missed out on that. Well, but they also... It might be more empathisable, though. Because he needs need acting of it. That's the thing. Yeah, he was. But I think that that was intentional. They wanted you to do... The thing about this film is they had to force you to empathise with the Joker... Through every single beat had to be you are going to empathise them because as soon as you lose empathy this film can't work at all so they had to make every character well, well apart from Luke strangles his mouth <laughs> suffocates his mouth yeah but if that happened at the beginning you wouldn't uh, <laughs> been for cold him, open no, anyway. you empath- but do you not empathise with him in that moment I know I did what in the in the, in the he strangles his mother oh, the oh I see I empathised with him in that moment no, I don't, I, I don't I, sympathise I, I don't kind condone, of switched but... off from, I mean I, I kind of felt 
As I said before, it's yeah. a scene where it doesn't let, let you off the hook and it doesn't end quickly. So you kind of have to live with the consequences of being with him and uh, having empathised with him up until that point. But I don't think I actually empathise with him yeah. while he's doing it. But someone else who turned down the role of Thomas <laughs> Wayne and uh, who I think would have been a really good choice, and this is a bit of a shame, was uh, Viggo Mortensen. Oh, he would have injected a bit more yes. into that role, I think. Yeah, that would have been really interesting. He's more likeable. But he turned it down, I'm afraid. Yeah, but... Hmm. It's interesting because he is more likeable, but I, I wonder how much of it needs a one-dimensional Thomas Wayne who's just no, this horrible I, bastard. I disagree. I think he actually needed to be a little bit more likeable. Yeah, I think like so. You think like, oh, he's <clears> so <throat> prim and proper and, and, and you want to side with Thomas Wayne in that situation that, that it's even more evil that he is hiding something. But would that create a larger gap with how you feel about the no, Joker? No, because cause hopefully by that point you would believe that he was pulling a fast one. Mm. But, the, but the public persona is, oh, of course everyone likes Thomas Wayne because look at him. He's charismatic. But yeah. in this, he doesn't really feel... Do you know my mind. You've convinced me, Rob. Not only do I agree with you now, I think it would have been a much better written film if it were for that regard because it would have made that grey dichotomy... Uh, more interesting. No doubt. Yeah. Because, I don't know, to sum it up the way I would say it, I mean, like, it's better to populate your film with real characters, <laughs> like, than, than with these cardboard cutouts. And I thought Thomas Wayne was the weak character in this who came across as just a cardboard cutout. Like, mm. he's the fat, wealthy man who is a bit of a jerk. Like, <laughs> yeah. and, and I was thinking, he's, he's Alec Baldwin, basically, and yeah, check it out. Tom Hanks, for example. It would have been an interesting choice. Something yeah. like that. Yeah, where I agree. you think... You know, you I don't think Tom Hanks would do that because I think no, it breaks his brand. I don't know. He played Walt Disney. Hey, <laughs> hey, yo! <laughs> um, uh, Walt Disney's a massive anti-Semite. Well, that's fair. What are we so. expecting for people dressing up as clowns um, and rioting in the streets? Because people have talked about the people have brought up in the co- in the context of this film, which I think is really stupid. The Aurora shooting. What the dark where, which was rises? during The Dark Knight Rises, so why on earth would you... It just gives them an idea, this is the problem I have. From what I could gather, that it seemed to be one of these situations where there isn't much of a uh, furore over it, there's no outcry, but then you've got this created outcry by people assuming there was one and then getting annoyed about that, yeah. and then that then fuels the opposite argument. Yes. Well, if you're going to be like that, but... you lefty libs, I'm going to put on a mask and go out there. <laughs> Um, it was well woke. I yeah. think it's just a massive stretch. It's, it's a little it's silly, ridiculous. Isn't it? I mean, it, surely the, the Dark Knight is is more. If, yeah. if there was a film that glamorised that mm. perspective, surely it's Ledger's Joker. Ah, on those um, like those more alt right communities, they started using the Joker from those film from uh, Heath Ledger's Joker as a figure that they were inspired by. Yeah. So coming back to that well. I guess the argument, I can't say I agree with this, but the argument would be you're now In taking fact, a figure. You could say that you disagree. Oh. The argument I, is, yeah. I disagree. No, I'm, I'm never okay. make any more Joker uh, properties because these people can not always go if, back to that well. Not if the Joker you've got is a product of a society that fails them and therefore they're mm. going to Shiver School. <laughs> you know, this is the thing. You can have a Joker movie where he's already the Joker, but if you start, um, so I don't want to use the word excusing his actions because I don't think that's true, but if you start creating a film where you. Uh, uh, empathise with his actions it doesn't uh, excuse yeah. the actions I mean we already have mm. there are so many films that basically chart the rise of the, that German generation like mm. recently The White Ribbon nobody's saying The White Ribbon should be outlawed because it condones Nazism I mean it doesn't condone Nazism it tries to in a sort of fable way uh, 
give some kind of justification for why it might have happened. By empathising with it, if people were to be inspired by that in the future, they've now got an empathisable figure that they can be drawn to, and therefore they would feel it's more justified what they're doing, rather than this like, two-dimensional hate figure. I mean, but people need an avatar, is that what you're saying? They yeah, well, I think a... in this generation, so I mean, why would they, they, they latch onto the Joker originally, didn't they? In, in, the well, last... in that case, you can't stop oh, yes. people from doing that, and no. maybe they will have their own reasons to... Sp- Regardless, it'll be if they if it isn't the Joker, they'll find somebody else. Yeah, and, exactly. and in that case, true, it's yeah. unfair to go back. To, and you you agree with this, I'm sure. Go back and point the finger at Tom Phillips and say you are responsible for. As I, said, I don't agree uh, with this at all because I don't yeah. think art should be censored, and I don't think, and I think people are making a big for all Well, this is why we had the Hayes Code back in the day. It was the yeah. idea that people are so sort of easily corruptible yeah. that well, we they, can't the show a Tommy gone on screen, you know, yeah. or or any form of gambling, you know. Well, I mean, when it comes to like glamorizing violence, I mean. Peaky Blinders is so popular and that is like mm. super slow-mo shots of rich gangsters who always get away with it walking down the street and then killing people. Mm. I mean, that is surely much more irresponsible and reprehensible than anything in this film. I haven't seen Nobody's Peaky saying Peaky Blinders should be sent. I haven't, also, I haven't seen it, but would you say you empathise with the people in Peaky Blinders and well, characters? Well, because it's so uncharacter driven. I mean, I, 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 you know, I have my problems with Peaky Blinders, but so I'm not kidding. Like, in every single episode of Peaky Blinders, there'll be a bit where they sort of slow-mo walk down the street with their cigarettes and their long... <laughs> <laughs> just before they like beat the shit out of someone and like burn down a pub uh, and rubbish it is really it, that, that, <laughs> it's that, something that would annoy that me that definitely glamorises the violence and the violent way of life what about the bleakness of EastEnders right like EastEnders people love EastEnders and it's just wall to wall life is shit I guess and, and I guess the difference <laughs> is with EastEnders it's so even though Neighbours is the greatest uh, okay let's, let's move on um, whether it's intentional or not, it's certainly you come away with it thinking like, God, that's stupid. Joker mm. has enough well executed to for one not to think, oh, well, that was stupid. You're thinking, that was grim. That's what I mean. People like <laughs> wallowing in it and, I, and they also like following serial killers. Yes, oh, and they like such yeah, a big for that at the moment. Netflix is, 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 Hannibal, is yeah. the serial killer channel you know, at the moment. Real ones and, and fictional <laughs> ones. And, uh, that's true. And does that mean that these There's people are all going to go out and commit crimes? I agree, like, like, surely Hannibal Lecter, again, is a much more irresponsible character to create. Mm. Like He's a much more, like... And he's charismatic. He, he's he's suave. Exactly, he's, yeah. he's intelligent. I mean, this guy is mentally disturbed, mm. poor. He lives with his mother. Like... There's nothing. There's nothing to sort of look at this character and be like, oh yeah, that's how I want to live my life. I suppose Hannibal Lecter isn't the protagonist in Silence of the Lambs, so maybe that's no, why. True. But he is in the Hannibal show. And he becomes. Sure. Like he turns into him. Yeah, yeah, he really, yeah, really becomes the protagonist. Yeah, and people do really this... ship him, don't they, on Tumblr? That's and right. So they ship the with Hannibal. Joker. Obviously, <laughs> those two can go together. And, and create lots of crimes. <laughs> Somebody just uh, <laughs> poke out my mind's eye for a second. But despite the references and so on, which we felt felt a little flat sometimes. Still, a reference to Road Trip. I would have <laughs> been up for that. There probably is one hidden in there somewhere. There might be. I really like this film. I was great. Mm. I, I think it works it as a whole and scene by scene. I, th- I was really, I found it really entertaining. Yeah. And uh, and it's not a mass-produced thing. It even sounds yeah. like. I mean, you've got the script there, or mm. you were reading the script, but I read that he was also write, sort of rewriting it as he went along. It yeah, was rewritten on set. Or yeah, so yeah, it's that kind it of seventies, early eighties sort of attitude as well that you can just you know apocalypse now style just make up as you go I just, along my big problem is I value originality in filmmaking probably more than anything else when mm. I see it and that always clouds my opinions of film where it can be the most perfectly executed piece of film out there but if it is a shallow 
copy or you know a best of homage of something else i'm going to be docking points because i feel like there's it's just i want something slightly original i want something from a person's voice i want to feel the art in the art even if it's highly commercial i mean there's a lot of the marvel films that are so homogenous and commercialized but there's sometimes you can be watching one i'd be thinking like i can see the voice behind this and that automatically just makes me feel better about the film it feels more like a unique thing rather than I like this filmmaker, see how much I like him. And that, yeah, and much as well, take the piss out of Road Trip just now, but I, it certainly feels like a, it, that is his voice. Mm. Well, and also his voice seems to be twinned with his director of photography, who did all the Hangover films. Oh, did he? Lawrence Scher. He's got good range. Yeah, I mean, the only thing mm. I would say is that sometimes it seems to rely a lot on that kind of shallow depth of feel, but they're kind of going for that 70s feel. Minor quibbles. Yeah, yeah. I found a lot of it really refreshing, the way it's put together. Yeah, yeah, really. yeah I, I just... Really great. For a comic really book movie, it. it was a yeah. bloody breath of fresh air. Yeah. I, think I think it's the best film we've reviewed so far. Well, I guess it's that part of the show where we uh, do things. Isn't that right? That's right. It's time to tag that flick. <laughs> tag your flick. In space... No one can hear you scream. The brother of the director of Ghost. Be afraid. Be very Whoever wins, we lose. Tag your flick. Tag your flick. Mike, why don't you go first for once? All right, then. Um, This one, I I, I kind of had... I feel like the tagline to this film should be just the, the, the number for a charity to promote mental health in America. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> but... Yeah. Uh, but I think the, the tagline that I would actually put on this film is nobody knows what it's like to be the sad guy. Nice. Mm, I like that. Who deep cut there. If the who would allow us. Or Limp Biscuit. Go on. Tell us your tag. No. Line. You tell us your tag. Okay. <clears throat> Comedy equals tragedy plus crime. That's definitely a tag you would come up with. <laughs> Did you get it? No. Nope. There's is another a classic reference? truism, uh, an epithet, I don't know, an aphorism or whatever. That is, comedy equals tragedy plus time. Ah, okay. So Too clever for me. I've, I've changed God, the word yeah. time to crime. So I chose a oh music reference because I knew you'd get it. <laughs> you've done something clever and it went <laughs> That's really clever. Heads. I am appalled that I didn't. That's brilliant, Rob. Yeah, again, you've come up with one and I'm just, I'm amazed. Clearly, I love it. PR is not, it's not where I belong, though, <laughs> because no one gets it. It's a pun as well. Well, no, there's a there's a niche for your for your I mean, brilliance. You know, exactly right? Don Draper, but see, <laughs> you, you got it. You got Some it. people would get it. There you go. I reckon it's a small. I mean, it's for the one percent. Ironically, <laughs> <laughs> and Jules, right? Quite a simple one. This one, the most miserable comedy since The Hangover. Ooh. Ooh. Shots fired. Tom Are we going to get through an episode without you openly calling out the director? <laughs> and he wants to work in, in movies. <laughs> Which bridges aren't burning yet. <laughs> Time for, oh no. Oh. oh, do you want to know the real tagline for the film? Go on. It's quite simply, put on a happy face. Yeah, I, I think it'd be something like that, yeah. Have a... Ha- crap, ha- I haven't got anything. No, it's put on a happy face. It's <laughs> put on a happy face, Jules. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking things along the lines of, you know, if life gives you lemons or something, or, or turn nice. that, the you know, joke's turn on that you. clown upside down, who's laughing now, or something. I thought it was going to be something like that. Yeah. Whose crime is it anyway? Uh, who Turn that clown upside down. The last shots of the Joker in the in the Dark Knight, he is upside mm, down. That would be good. Turn yeah. that clown upside down. <laughs> and it's... 
Thomas Wayne's wife's due date because here's Bruce Wayne. <laughs> Don't forget this is Batman. Also, Don't Bruce in that Batman. film, like little he's, shit. He's, like, you know, I did he's, like how he's very. Um, he hasn't been given the stranger danger talk, has he? Really, Bruce. <laughs> very passive. He doesn't seem yeah. like he's going to turn into. Even when Alfred is like being choked at the gate, Bruce is just standing there. He's like, <laughs> is this a? Alfred I mean, just basically stuck his fingers in his mouth. Oh, that's <laughs> right. That's <laughs> what I'm talking about. <laughs> Does anyone right. think that it was a reference that the idea that the child Bruce Wayne goes down a pole in order to meet the Joker? Because he slides down the um, the pole oh. in his little uh, playpen thingy outside. Nice. Well, like in the original TV uh, series. As in like in the 60s. The bat pole. Yeah, yeah, sure. Got you. Maybe. Is it the bat pole? The, well, the, not not the uh, Christopher Nolan bat pole. Turbines the uh, power. Batteries the speed. Yes. yes. That's actually, if they had cast Cesar Romero as the Joker in this, <laughs> oh, that would have been a very interesting <laughs> guess. Including yes. painting over his moustache because he refused to shave it. <laughs> the only thing I know about Cesar Romero. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, cool, and, and now it's time to see uh, to ask the question that's on everyone's lips. Where do we go from here? So where will we go from here? Where do we go from here, Mike? Do you the, ha- where do you think we should go from here? Where does the Joker lead us? With Nixon impeached, there's mm. massive outrage, and populism puts Joker in the White House. Mm. Oh my! And God. so you have White, so you have Joker He's, as president. Jesus Christ! It's Joker Trump. Joker Trump. Yeah, exactly. That's cool. um, I feel like I definitely don't want Batman. Like as you might have guessed, I didn't really like the, the their attempts to wedge Batman into this. So I don't want the Waynes. Don't need to be in this at all anymore. We don't need Batman. Uh, but I do think you could introduce another Batman villain. And I was almost thinking of having, inf- not instead of Joker being the president, Joker in a presidential race with Penguin on the other side. <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> that's like Campaign the rich, aristocratic. That's, sort of, that's amazing. He's the 1% uh, villain. So you've got, and then maybe the Riddler, because I just think it'd be quite fun to have the Riddler in that film as well. Yeah. So you've got Joker <laughs> and Riddler and Penguin. A triple villain wow. feast. But in a presidential race uh, with a background of uh, out, populist outrage. <laughs> Would the tagline be, uh, here's the Trump card? Ooh. No. Could be. Stop with your idea. Joker's the lead. So yeah. it does create, again, that strange, we side with him because he's against gi- bigger, more gigantic assholes. And that's like a fair the, sequel as well, actually, then, rather than just a continuation of, of Batman, as you say. Yeah, because I feel like the, diffi- the difficulty, but, you know, the thing that you have to maintain, I think, is, like his, is the passivity that he plays within the wider context. You know, he doesn't, inc- he might incite and become a symbol for the rise, but he doesn't, he's not doing it deliberately. And I think mm. if you lose that, from, then you lose a lot from this character. You can't have him being like uh, really forceful and like pushing for an agenda. He can't ride on he, the waves he, of populism. He's just got to sort of like lay no, he, back. Yeah, he does. He yeah. rides it. He's, he's just, he gets carried along by it, I think. Mm. We'll see. What do you well, think, Rob? <laughs> so Rob, what is your <laughs> idea for a sequel? Okay. Well... After escaping from Arkham Asylum, with a little help from his Jokerettes, Joker goes into hiding and forms his own comedy club with a twist. (laughs) People, often figures of authority, are pulled off the street and slung on stage. Joker watches from the shadows. If the act doesn't make him laugh, they are killed. Since clues seem to point at the film being set in 1981, a computer programmer is dragged on stage. His answer to what he does for a living is, I'm working on a mouse! Arthur finds this amusing and decides to use his skills to trick Wall Street in make him a millionaire. Ooh. Oh, irony of ironies, he is now the 1%. A cruel joke which is not lost on him. Meanwhile, a teenage Bruce Wayne schedules a meeting with Joker. <laughs> 
who is trying to make money on his own as a kind of rebellion, eschewing his trust fund. Joker takes him under his wing and it's basically some sort of Wall Street rip-off with more murder. Interesting. But Sounds like a, Wall Street nowadays. There's a similar, the Trump element, I suppose, yeah. in yeah. different guises. Well, this is the thing. The 1% <clears throat> thing in uh, the film was a direct reflection of today's current society, okay. which is a direct reflection of Trump. It's not surprising mm. that you guys went to a similar well. I mean, they bring him on in off the streets. They bring rich people off the streets, and if they don't... They, if they don't make him it, laugh. They don't make him laugh. He kills them. Then they have that That's the sort of thing that would have happened in Suicide Squad. In fact, <clears throat> did that happen? I can't remember. I like if 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 Batman is going to be in it. I quite like him sort of in a in a rejecting the the homestead sort of uh, classic yeah. phase and yeah like going down a taking a few steps down a path that's ultimately rejected. That would be that would be interesting. Because you could lay some more sort of character seeds for him eventually becoming Batman, but do it just shy enough that it's like is not the focus at all of the film. Yeah. And the idea that the Joker, who is obviously one hundred percent against the one percent accidentally finds himself in a situation where the only way to survive is be the one percent. But he'd kind of embrace it as a kind of cruel joke. I think I think at this point he would just assume everything is part of some sort of grand sort of comic Has his character complete I mean in both of your films situation. Would you would you guys say that Joker is the Joker that we know now? Or is he like does he sit in this sort of uh not yet the Joker, but still he's still on his way to be arcing to become the Joker that we know from well, for me, it would still be the way Joaquin Phoenix has done it. So there's still a lot of, you know, there's still a genuine mm. struggle and a, with with mental illness. I think. Yeah, I think it, whatever he does is is purely, it's just kind of a pr- Prometheus style. I'm going to do it because just to show how much of a sham mm. it is. Like he he would probably get all the money and then like sort of something like out of the original Batman and throw it out of a balloon or something, <laughs> or whatever, or have it shred it or, or set it on fire like in Dark Knight. Yeah, exactly. So. I'm only burning my half. Uh, Great ideas, guys. Thanks. I will happily watch these films when they inevitably come out. Woohoo! All right, who's ready for a quiz? Me! Right, okay. Well, I don't know if you guys are aware, but we watched this film and it was called Joker. Oh, crap, I haven't revised. Right. Are you ready for a quiz, though? All right, Rob. That is about the film Joker. (laughs) Oh, thank God. But I revised all about uh, Maverick. The disappointing Dick Donner film. You should have watched the <laughs> less disappointing Dick, Dick Donner. Film. Yeah, Dickie Donner. Oh, Richard Donner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that. That had Jodie Foster in it. There we go. Uh, There's a Jodie Foster. Uh, we're we, back. We got it. We got it. <laughs> Hotel Artemis. I heard she was in Joker as oh, his mother. That's right. Question one. Question one. In Jodie Foster. <laughs> as in Jodie Foster. In Jodie Foster. <laughs> Proper quiz. Question one. Bad neighbors. As we, oh, I can make it bad neighbors. Do you want? I can do that on the fly. <laughs> As we were was, all... Was Jodie Foster in The Fly? <laughs> but Jeff Goldblum was. Oh, no! His ass was again. <laughs> Question one. <laughs> as we're all well aware, many things can change in a movie from script to screen. And as you guys know from earlier on, I was looking at the script. But that is because I was thinking up questions for the quiz. Oh, nice. Joker is no exception to things that can change from script to screen. I have an April 2018 draft of the shooting script here. Can you tell me which of these three things I'm about to read you actually is something that was in that 2018 draft that didn't make it into the film? And which of the other two? Totally fabrications. Right, number one. Arthur gets people to call him Joker very early on in the script. Page 17. He's with his fellow clown co-workers, Randall, that's the big guy, and Gary, that's the dwarf. When Randall, the big guy, half-mockingly, half-friendly says to Gary, the dwarf, to check out this Joker here. 
Arthur likes it and asks them in earnest for them to call him Joker. It's weird. Randall agrees to get him to stop creeping them out. However, Arthur's happiness is turned on its head when in the hospital watching the TV, he sees his hero, Murray Franklin, it's Bobby De Niro, call him this Joker when showing the clip with no intent but to laugh at him. Hmm. So, calls him Joker earlier on and therefore, that's, that's, and therefore that moment has a bit more going for it. It, okay. it. it strikes me as being a really cringeworthy moment, which could well belong in the film, but it seems a little... It's page 17, Amateur, so it's about... Well, like, if, deliver, if, it, if it's done wrong, it seems like, you know, you're drawing attention to the to the name of the character immediately. Yeah, I guess that could be quite cringe. Mm. Number two. In what I assume must be a very overt reference to Taxi Driver, Arthur frequents porno theatres in the script. At one point, he sees a couple in the seat in front very obviously engaging in some sexy sex times, well, at least from his perspective, anyway, and it blocks his view of the screen. Finding it very awkward, but not wanting to make a big deal about it, Arthur does his awkward laugh, the script making a point that we don't know if he's doing it intentionally or not. They get up and leave, whilst Arthur tries to hand them his laughter medical condition card. Mm. Number two. Right. Okay, number three. In the script, Joker's interactions with his neighbour aren't delusions. She talks to him about how hard it is being a single mother, and they share in their hatred for the rich, specifically Thomas Wayne. After losing her job, Arthur comforts his neighbour and gets it into his head that they're dating, even though the script makes it obvious that she's only pitying him. This culminates in him barging into her apartment to find her having sex with her actual real and very hunky boyfriend on the couch. Arthur leads, and she later confronts him, making it clear to him that they're just friends. In the scene description, the script, the script makes it very clear that this is the definite point that pushes him over the edge. Mm. And in his mind, it could be that he, she's cheating on him. So that could work in that respect. Those are the three. So we have. But I think you're right. It's like you don't. It, it's just too too early to be saying like, oh, by the way, it's remember Joker. And there are a lot of the interactions with colleagues. Like I don't think that. No, my my, I my think feeling is number three. Yeah, I'm agreed with you. But let's go with number three. You are number three. Correct. Yes. That was originally the film was in Selageddon. Oh god, yeah, that would be, they would yeah. have got more shit for that. That's true. How much um, is like it's quite overt about the idea that because this woman that he shows all this affection for doesn't feel any affection for him, she's the one to blame. Right, question two. According to Top Phillips, the joke when I was a little boy and people and told people I was going to be a comedian, everyone laughed. Well, no one's laughing now. Is inspired by which late British comedian? A. Bob Monkhouse. B, Ken Dodd, or C, Ronnie Corbett. I know this. Yeah, I know. It's Bob Monkhouse. Bob Monkhouse, yeah. yeah. Question three. The final question. The following four things I'm about to read are genuine reviews for The Joker online. Or should I say, three of them are genuine. One of them, not so much. Can you guess which one is made up? I'm going to read four things. One of them I've made up. Right. The other three are genuine reviews for The Joker. (laughs) Genuine. Or Joker, whatever it's called. Online. Joker. All right. Uh, here's the first one. <clears throat> this movie is fucking deep. We can talk about mental illness and society rank, or talk about how Joker didn't really murder those Wall Street guys. To me, two-thirds of them are just out for self-defense. What's also crazy is Joker had the opportunity to be a hero. The woman even looks at the clown for help, and he chooses not to. We can also talk about what really happened and what's a part of his imagination. There's so many things to talk about with this movie. I feel like it's going to be one of those movies that we're breaking down and talking about for years. People shit on WB for other projects, but they did good on this one. More of this, please. That's, That's real. That's surely Peter Bradshaw. Okay, here we go. Number two. It's a short one, this one. This is in quotes. Uh As kids, we love the heroes. As adults, we understand the villains. Oh, is that Steve? That's real. Here's number three. 
Holy, and I mean this in the most genuine way possible, shit. <laughs> I was going to leave it at that, but I just can't lol. i got to keep going, wow, 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 fuck. Also, I'm totally about just to say what everyone already knows, but fuck it. Yeah, as pretentious as this is about to sound, this isn't even a film. It, I mean, it is, but it's not using filmmaking in a way that tells any particular story. It miraculously all works together so tightly to convey these emotions as a way of, more importantly, getting across certain philosophical ideologies. This film just had me doing a lot of thinking. It's really not a perfect film, but it's easily one of those that still qualifies as a masterpiece in my book. It's a film that will live on for decades and remain one of the most important and exciting pieces of art I've ever experienced. You need to get off Reddit. <laughs> Number three. Okay. These are all from different sources, I should Okay. Like, different websites. <laughs> right. And here's number four. Oops, my mistake. Started watching this movie thinking it was a documentary about running the man running the country. A truly stupid joker. Walked out immediately. Good excuse for popcorn, though. Bernie 2020. Peace. <laughs> so we've got... Uh, but, hold on. Hold <laughs> on. Three of these are real. One of them's made up. Is this right. a trick question because three of them are made up and one of them is real? <laughs> Oh, First okay, one is this movie is fucking deep. Second one is as kids we love the heroes. Yeah, that seems. Third one is holy, and I mean this in the generous way anyway, possible that shit. Feels like Jules. I know, but is it third. two? Did he find that one? It was like yes, yeah. they're gonna pick that one. Yeah. And the fourth one is. I agree. I, I agree that the third one seems most. But then, obviously. But, but the last one is is ridiculous. Like what? Did you, thought it was gonna be a documentary, Bernie twenty twenty. I mean, peace. <laughs> but then that could be a letterboxed uh, review, which are. I mean, they're kind of short and sweet and mad, often. Some of them are not sure. I mean, all, almost all of them are satires of themselves, so... I think some of them are taking themselves seriously. Yeah. No, no, I, I, I agree, but they are themselves. Unknowingly parodies of themselves. Um, <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Is that something that Jules would say as well? The wow, wow. 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 I mean, are you referring well, to, well, I just I can't keep going, it, wow, 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 fuck? It most like he would read out a fake Jules thing. <laughs> I, I feel like if I don't go with that, I'll be upset. I'm going to deviate. Okay. You went, I'm going to deviate and I'm going to say I think it's number two. I think two what is the, the one he wrote. What, the up. adult... Uh, as kids as, we love as, the heroes, as adults, as adults we understand the villains. I'm going to say that that's... Oh, actually, that's oh. actually read it wrong. Villians. Villians, okay. Villians. Well, now you're making me think that that isn't... No, you're making one. me think that it is. Oh. <laughs> so I think that's the one. I think that's oh, the red sugar. herring. Oh, sugar. See, now, <laughs> now I feel like that is it because he... Villians. That's mean. Um, <laughs> I'm going to... I'm so, I think it's number two. And we're going to go with three. So you're splitting the vote? Are you? We're, 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 we're both wrong, aren't we? So what do you say? You're saying... I'm saying number two. You're saying number two and you're saying number three. Mm. Well, I'm going to tell you that number one was a genuine review by J.K. Dubiblum on Reddit. <laughs> number two was a genuine review <laughs> by Gubbermans on YouTube. Oh, no, it's going to be four, isn't it? Number three was Carsten Runquist's review of Tree of Life on oh. Letterboxd. <laughs> I thought, yeah. Yeah. So you got it, you got it. You got it, Rob. And number four, which you guessed was fake, was Half Star Review by Wine. <laughs> yeah. He said number three. You said number three, yeah, yeah. so you're right. But wait, what did you, you did just you say, say it was someone from Leatherbox? No, I'm saying, yeah, no, one of them's made up. I didn't, yeah, it's, it's made up, it's not from the Joker. It was a review of Tree of Life. Oh, oh so Tree of Life, oh, right. So it's still a real it's review. A review. <laughs> I didn't oh. actually write any of those. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> nice one. I well done, Rob. You are yeah. reigning champion but, of the quiz. But, but, yeah. I thought I was trying to work out Julian's voice and none of them <laughs> were. So we were all <laughs> hiding to nothing, weren't we? No, that was Carsten Runquist's <laughs> review for Tree of Life. Terence Malick's The Tree of Life. I was like, is that your new persona? <laughs> Carsten Rumquist. And uh, yes, the Bernie 2020 was by the user Wine on Letterboxd who rated it half a star. 
There you go. Quiz crown to <gasps> Mr. Rob. I think we can put an end to these podcasts now. <laughs> <laughs> we finally have a champion. Okay. Shall we shall we rummage around the letter the, the mail bag and see if we can select a delectable uh, treat for us all to listen to? Rob, have you have you been have you have you been on mail duty this month? Have yeah. we had any interesting correspondence? Rob, why don't you uh empty a sack for the rest of us to see? Dear Once Upon my lifelong love of cinema has drawn me to the inevitable discovery of what you call a podcast. I'm not sure what it is, perhaps a roller coaster of pretension, but it's not a real podcast from where I'm standing. I mean, for starters, you need an audience. Having said all that, I do appreciate the fact that you seem to have finally tired of reviewing superhero films <laughs> and have thankfully moved on to the true cinema of supervillain films. But hey, what do I know? Maybe I'm just a dinosaur of celluloid. Maybe it's time for me to start making films. You know? I tell you what, that's me taking no for an answer. It's them selling me, not the other way around. It's me, it's me being a hypocrite, that's what that is. So, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. I'm not fucking leaving! The show goes on! This is my cinema! They're gonna need a fucking wrecking ball to take me out of here! Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, the rest is a kind of unintelligible scroll, can't make it out, something about gangsters, la la la. Yada yada yada, lots of love, Marty. Ah, so um, yeah. thanks, Marty. We love you too. He's quite old. I'm surprised well, he's preempting the fact that we're going to review Joker. Thanks very yeah. much, Martin. Wow. I liked how he clearly also seen uh, Wolf on Wall Street. Oh wait, he directed that. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's the first director we've suggested on the show that I'm not going to like go. I, I'm coming for you. No. No, but I mean, in, in real life, hug you. in real life, he said that he considers Marvel movies merely a roller coaster and not cinema. Yeah, it's, I can. Yeah, he's right. Strange that he had prior knowledge of the film we were about to review. Personally, I think it's fake because it didn't reference Encino Man. <laughs> that is a giveaway, isn't it? So last week, last time, it wasn't really last week. So it was actually a couple of months ago. Right. Last time, Jules uh, brought a gardening book to replace the Necronomicon. I did. And selected a word from it, which could easily have come from any page <laughs> of the Necronomicon, which was the word creeping. Yeah. And uh, now we're going to tell you all, all the. Uh, all of you out there, um, the film, <laughs> all one person, all of you, the, the, the film that that made us think about. Because I'm sure you all really want to know what us three think about the word creeping. <laughs> it's gonna, can't wait to see what place that puts you in. <laughs> the uh, Gary Glitter autobiography. Jules, why don't you start us off? Let the noncery begin. Oh, I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, that's Not a tagline for, for Joker, wasn't it? <laughs> A few weeks ago, I re-watched a movie that I hadn't seen in a long time, but is one of my favourite films, and I watched it for the reason of thinking about this word, and I wasn't entirely sure, but... The movie I watched was American Beauty. Mm. <laughs> oh. And it's the first... I've been putting it off because after everything that happened with Kevin Spacey, the first time I watched this, obviously, well, a million times I watched this, you empathise with Kevin Spacey's character, he's a man going through a midlife crisis, and, you know, I love the film. But then rewatching it with knowing, well, with everything that's come out about him and his new persona and the fact that he he's just like this this sort of quite justly hated figure now for, for the crimes he's done. The movie took on this very weird thing where you start to realise just how much of Kevin Spacey's roles are based on being a creepy weirdo and how much of there is in that performance that you then wonder that isn't, Maybe that isn't great acting. Maybe that is someone with something more below the surface. And because the film's so well written, 
it really does a great job of making you empathise with him. That I was caught, much like Joker, in this weird schism between feeling, oh, I really empathise with his character, I want him to succeed. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's got a 16-year-old girl that's checking him out. You know, I don't agree with him, but good for him. His marriage is terrible. And then the weird side of, oh, God, it's Kevin Spacey. It's this kind of creepy. Is he, is there like another level to this now, what he had when he was going into the film? And it, it, it weirdly enough, it made me sort of enjoy it on another, on a, I say enjoy, it made me enjoy it artistically on another level, because it was my favourite film of mine, that now I'm seeing in a new light. I guess my question to you guys is, have you seen any, been watching any Kevin Spacey films since that occurred, and uh, has it coloured your opinions on it? It, it would never, I, don't, I must admit, I, I will separate the man from the film, so... You know, I don't, I don't, I, I, I'm not sure I have seen any since... Because he wouldn't have been in anything new, no, so that's not, the question, isn't it? Well, I, 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 I'm not, yeah. I, I definitely watch American Beauty, yeah. I like mm. American Beauty. I haven't, but I, also, I recently thought, oh, I would like to see LA Confidential again. That won't stop me from going to see it again. No, exactly. You know, <clears> but when the, I don't know, it's hard to, because it's one of my favourite films, it made it harder to want to go back to that world. But I'm glad I did. Follow that act. Mm. Who's your nonce? <clears throat> so, Creeping. Could be about creeps or creepy crawlies, Lolita or Starship Troopers. Oh. But why not both? So I thought I'd throw a bone to old Cronenberg and go with Naked Lunch. Oh, interesting <laughs> choice. Interesting choice. At first glance, it's about a man who works as a pest controller who gets high off his own supply. But it evolves into so much more. The screenplay was written by the director as an amalgam of both the original book and parts of the author William Burroughs' actual life. It's probably not worth detailing the whole plot since it twists <laughs> and turns like a Lynchian Raymond Charner story. I don't think the film even knows what its plot is half the time. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. With more body horror and even more paranoia. Uh, there is, however, a memorable sequence or two predicated on the idea that our protagonist, Bill Lee, played by Robocop himself, <laughs> Peter Weller, Leviathan, <laughs> has a sentient typewriter, which at one point eats another sentient typewriter. I do probably prefer some of his other films, such as The Fly or Crash, but it's definitely worth an exploration, and it's also a fine excuse to refer to the good book. I'm, of course, referring to the wondrous tome Cronenberg on Cronenberg, edited by Chris <laughs> Rodley. I will now draw your attention to a quote by Old Davy Boy, which I think could have an apt relation to what we've been discussing with Joker. If you're following along at home, it's page 158. <laughs> he was asked about the social responsibility of artists and creators. In response, he said the following. As an artist, one is not a citizen of society. An artist is bound to explore every aspect of human experience. The darkest corners, not necessarily, but if that is where one is led, that's where one must go. You cannot worry about what the structure of your own particular segment of society considers bad behaviour, good behaviour, good exploration, bad exploration. So at the time you're being an artist, you're not a citizen. You don't have the social responsibility of a citizen. You have, in fact, no social responsibility whatsoever. You can draw your own conclusions as to whether that's a fitting truism or one big get-out-of-jail-free card, but... Totally justified, 100 justified. Either way, I thought it was interesting. You could also take this argument to defend William Burroughs' own novel, of which the film is adapted, which caused serious consternation and controversy at the time and was banned in Boston for four years. Of course, public opinion has since switched to venerating the novel. The original trailer is uniquely esoteric, as it is narrated by Burroughs himself, who catalogues the sea change in attitude that has led to this moment. He says, uh, 30 years later, Hollywood, in its infinite wisdom, has turned it into a movie. 30 feet tall, in living color. Cover your eyes, America. Run for your lives. And the trailer ends with the words, David Cronenberg and William Burroughs invite you to lunch. 
I'll, I'll say random Very facts nice. about the book. Mm. One of the reasons why the movie is such a glorious, confusing mess is because uh, the I believe William Burroughs wrote the book, all the chapters separately, and then he threw them up in the air, mm. uh, like the first page of each chapter up in the air, and then he picked them up randomly and then wherever, from where they landed, and that became the order of which the chapters would Amazing. be in the book. That's what David Bowie did with lyrics. Kind of works a little easier for lyrics well, than the entire <laughs> novel, yeah. That's true. But uh, it's, a, it's a horrible, weird batshit novel, and that Cronenberg's probably the only person capable of uh, doing something like that. Yeah, and it's interesting that he kind of didn't do a straight adaptation. It was kind of a combination of Burroughs the man and mm. uh, his character. But there are a lot of times in that book where Cronenberg is vindicating his own decision to sort of shock the audience. Because of the age-old question, oh, you know, that Tarantino gets every time he sits in an interview wow. chair. Well, bloody Videodrome must have just, like... Cronenberg must have been facing it his entire career. And I know Videodrome, it was, he got so much flack for that, mm. for just how... Well, brilliantly grotesque it is, but it's it's yeah. He is a man who must have been fighting that his entire career because even his films are kind of not so horrible. Like um, oh god, the one with uh, the Jeremy Irons replays the twins. I was going to say Dead Ringers is really Dead Ringers. Cool. Yeah, yeah. But it's is it? Well, that's oh, not. Are you, surely you would talk about something like uh, History of Violence is him, isn't it? I mean, that's yeah, History of Violence is him. Actually, with Dead Ringers, he that's mentions horrible. the fact that you know people have said, oh, it's it's. It's increased misogyny or something mm. um, as a result of the film. And um, he was saying, well, like, there was no... At what point do you know that's going to happen? You don't when you're making <laughs> right. the film. And so uh, unless some mm. sort of God figure could come, could come down and tell them tell him exactly that this was going to happen, then he can't really listen to that kind of um, that kind of criticism, especially at the script stage or whatever. So going back to the Joker, then, yeah. you take this idea of the incel scene stuff that was taken out... Mm. Are we thinking, because Todd Phillips, must have, they must have looked at that and thought, well, you know, this doesn't, could this do something? Is this the reason they're taking mm. it out? Is it oh, I like to think it's just because he thought, oh, it doesn't work for the film. Yeah, um, I, I think that. I hope so. Well. I, I, I think so. There's always something a bit, it's, I don't it's like the idea of artists sitting in a, sitting in a, not sitting in a vacuum. The idea that they're sitting there thinking, well, how will an audience respond to this? Should I, my artistic, it's one thing changing your artistic vision if you think, a producer saying you won't get money if you do this, mm. but it's another if you're thinking, I'm not sure if an audience will go mad and kill someone over this. <laughs> so, Creeping. Mike, what film did you choose for The Creeping? Uh, I chose a piece of classic cinema from 1965, Roman Polanski's Repulsion. <laughs> um, oh, and I didn't choose it because of Roman Polanski, although I understand that some... So some... a second nonce. We've <laughs> double nonced. <laughs> Double nonce. <laughs> um, so Repulsion was uh, directed by Roman Polanski and stars Catherine Deneuve. It was uh, Polanski's yeah. second feature film and and possibly the film that cemented her growing reputation, I think. Um, it's about the emotional trauma of a young French woman, Carol, living in London. Uh, she's confused and repelled by male sexuality. And when her sister, who Carol sort of clings to and hides behind as a shield against the outside world, leaves her alone in their apartment for a week, she descends into a nightmarish, and there it is, nightmarishness, nervous <laughs> breakdown. Um, she loses her job as a beautician, a job that, uh, yeah, that uh, allows her to be surrounded by female company all day, and she mm. stops leaving the apartment altogether. And at this point, madness begins to irrepressibly creep in on Ooh. her. Uh, the apartment walls crack and contract, uh, a skinned rabbit that her sister has left for her to cook gradually rots on the kitchen counter. And it's this slow decay in the in, in the, her mental state and 
embodied by the the way she's perceiving the environment around her and the way the environment around her is literally rotting um that bring that brought this film to mind when the word creeping was chosen it's that slow mm. um descent there's some and it and it's filmed the way it's shot is there's something so organic about it like even the walls have this sort of slimy organic texture to them um, Polanski films in this really incredibly claustrophobic way. I mean, obviously, he subjects us to this growing madness. It is uh, a deserved classic, but definitely an uncomfortable watch. Nice. Uh, that's Repulsion. It's been on my uh, my watch list for a very long time. And I'm, I was looking forward to it. But now I will avoid it. <laughs> all the best bits. I guess that's a wrap for that's the... That's a wrap. Oh, no, no, it isn't. We need a book. book. Yes. Oh, of course. Do you have, is the Necronomicon back or are we, back to, are we, are we will, gardening I'll, again I'll, next week? I will time? just see if... Uh, if the Necronomicon is available. I told you we have to do this. <laughs> there was another one. You can only eat so many gardening books. I'm going to run out at one point. Okay, I think, we, I think, I've, uh, I think I've convinced him. Can you, can you coax him out? Yeah, I can coax him out. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> so that was my leg. <laughs> I shall now read from the book. You must not read from the book! Rob, I want you to tell me when to stop. Stop! Okay, Mike, tell me when to stop. Never stop. Stop! And the word is... Oh my god, it's a na- It's a surname of a character. Alright, <laughs> what is it? Well, we can't use... The word is Dore. <laughs> from the name well, Gustav Dore. I think... Let's try that again. Finding Dory. Finding Dore. <laughs> Finding Gustav Dore. That'll be... Uh, that's our theme for next time. Okay. Okay. Stop. Fiend. Ooh. With a capital another F. Fiend. <laughs> All right. So, Fiend it is. The fiend. Necronomicon. We asked and the Necronomicon delivered us another nightmarishness, creeping, <laughs> superstitious fiend. Ooh, Rob, you chose Pickman's model. Uh, yeah, that's about all we've got time for. So, yeah. thanks very much for listening once again. This has been Mike, Jules and Rob in some guy's parents' house. That guy is me. It's my parents' house. And uh, Wait, we, we wish you... my parents' house. <laughs> We, we, I we, thought it was my just, parents' house. We've all just been living here in different wings of the house. In fairness, I have fabricated the existence of both of your friendships. Uh oh, cue flashback of you talking to yourself talking in my multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you mean fiendships? You mean fiendships! Oh. Um, so, yeah, thanks for listening and see you next time. Good night, everybody! And good podcasting days. And remember to. Remember to put your gun to your head put like a smile on your face. Remember to copy King of Comedy. Yeah.